Ella. And I'm Molly. And you're listening to Dig Deeper, a deep dive into the psychological explanations of social experiences, everyday struggles, and philosophical perspectives. This week, we're talking about humor. Since this topic is so dense, we are going to have a two-parter this week and next week because there's there's just so much to say and it's such a cool topic. Um, So this will be part one. Yeah, so I originally did most of my research taking from a book called The Psychology of Humor by Rob Martin and Thomas Ford. And the things that were really exciting to me or the key points that I took away were mainly that humor is a universal and fundamental part of being a human. And some sort of humor is pretty much present in all different types of relationships and seen across every single culture. And then also within that, there's laughter in every culture. And obviously, interpretations of humor are very different and senses of humor are very different culturally. But everyone laughs and like laughter is pretty indistinguishable worldwide, which is so sweet and fun. Uh, And then also, developmentally laughing is one of the first things we learn how to do vocally after crying. And it happens about four months after you're born. And then something super interesting is that children that are born both deaf and blind still laugh. So there's something about laughter that's an innate part of who we are as people because it's not such a, it's not even just a socialized action. It's something that you develop even without seeing other people do it, which is so cool. That's amazing. So innate in all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, before we dive into the psychology of humor, we want to go through a brief history. So the evolution of humor and laughing starts in the 1860, where it was seen as impolite to laugh in public. In the early 20th century, it got a little better, but still places of religion or educational settings were all seen as still inappropriate places for laughter and humor. But as time went on, humor became more accepted and it actually represented intellect and well-being. So Gordon Alport in 1961 kind of claimed that humor was associated with positive personality traits like self-awareness, insight, tolerance, and not being too serious or egotistical. So he basically saw the sense of humor as a rare and sophisticated trait. So having a sense of humor basically meant that you were mentally stable, adaptable, and easygoing. And no sense of humor basically meant that you were mentally ill. So for a bit in the 1960s, not having a sense of humor was actually synonymous with having a mental illness such as schizophrenia or paranoia or any kind of instability. This was basically rooted in Gordon Alport's idea that having wit or having a sense of humor was seen as smart, and if you had wit, you were probably a part of a higher social class. And because of these learned character traits that laughter was good for you and laughter made you more adaptable to your environment and more likable, having a sense of humor was considered, again, a good and healthy trait. I think the adaptability part of it was kind of important because... It was like this ability to adapt to different social situations and have like the social skills to be able to interact with people and sense what would make them laugh. Whereas like if you don't have those social skills, it's kind of the opposite, which is where like I think the mental illness thing came from. And then also 
I think depression specifically was also pretty associated with not having a sense of humor because I think that one's a little bit obvious, but yeah. Yeah, and also just a more evolutionary standpoint, if you have a sense of humor, you're more likable and you'll have more friends mm-hmm. and you'll be more protected by your class because people want to be around you if you have a sense of humor. So it's kind of like a survival of the fittest thing where if you have a sense of humor, you might evolutionary survive more, which is like not necessarily true, but I don't know, could be yeah, a way to look at it as like you, socially yeah. good for you, like socially adaptable, Definitely, which is crazy how powerful humor can be. And it's also crazy that humor can be so powerful. It was actually used in politics. Um, an example of this is it was used as a form of propaganda when the U.S. government contrasted their citizens to the German Nazis or the Russian communist who were seen as having a lot of like anger and not having a sense of humor. So in contrast, U.S. citizens were funny and charismatic and therefore better than the Nazis and the Russian communists. As of for today, humor is pretty much accepted and encouraged in all social settings across the board. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so there's also a couple of theories of humor that I wanted to go over. And I think the interesting thing about this research was just that there isn't really a broadly accepted definition of humor. I think the only thing that I saw across the board was this joke about like being really serious about researching humor when it's like this funny thing i don't know um (laughs) but basically so martin and ford from the book that i read defined humor as a broad multifaceted term that represents anything that people say or do that other people perceive as funny and that makes them laugh as well as the mental processes that go into creating these amusing anecdotes or actions or whatever and the emotional response, which we call mirth, involved in enjoying humor. And it's also theorized that humor is a form of tension relief, which I think you kind of get into more like darker senses of humor too, like laughing at a funeral or making more dark kind of inappropriate jokes is just like a way to relieve the tension. Yeah, and so mirth, this term that uh, Martin and Ford used, is basically defined as the emotion that comes from our perception of humor. And it's expressed in laughter, obviously. And then there's also the theory of benign violations, which is basically that something is funny when it seems wrong or threatening, but also harmless. Uh, So it counts as benign, depends on the audience um, and their perception of it. But basically, it's about like something not meeting your expectations, but in a way that's harmless. So there's not actual, yeah, there's not like an actual real threat. And then also I think humor is just a form of social play that's synonymous with excitement and exhilaration and cheer and it's a way to like we were talking about earlier form social groups and evolutionarily it's just good for you because it helps you form connections with people and kind of be in the in yeah absolutely it kind of humanizes you or makes you seem more approachable and more friendly definitely it's a way for i don't know to kind of disarm people if they're feeling uncomfortable and if you laugh it's like oh i'm I'm friendly. I'm welcoming. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, there's two different types of humor that I see there, kind of going off on a little tangent, but like there's the humor that's sort of like self-deprecating and then there's like the witty, smart humor. And I feel like, at least for me, like I don't take myself super seriously. And I feel like to disarm people, I'm more of like a 
do something that makes people laugh at me kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the kind of witty side of humor is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Also, people have tastes. Like, some people like the witty side more, and some people like the self-deprecating more. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, maybe depending on what humor was used on them, could disarm them in a different way. Yeah, or that's true. maybe put them on edge if they're, like, uncomfortable with that kind of humor. That makes sense. Going off these theories, there's been some research, not a ton, but some research that explains the neurological process involved with having a sense of humor. So this cognitive perceptual process basically says that incongruity has something to do with what we find funny, and that violation of expectations in some way is the core of the experience of humor. So basically, we perceive something as incongruous or out of the ordinary, and we receive social signals telling us that what we are expected to appraise whatever humor we're receiving and that we are allowed to let go of the unusual rules of like logic and expectations. So basically just violation of expectations causes you to be disarmed a little bit and be like, oh, whoa, we can let go of Mm -hmm. normal situations and like normal rules of social logic. Um, So focusing on the brain, like what the brain actually does (laughs) So when perceiving and resolving incongruity, this happens in the temporoparietal junction and the temporo-occipital parental junction. Mm. <laughs> Excuse big me if words. I mispronounced any of those. Very nerdy big words. <laughs> um, the concept of mirth that Ella was previously talking about is found in the insula, the ventral anterior cingulate cortex, <laughs> the, amygdala, the amygdala, and the the medial prefrontal cortex. This idea of mirth also changes our biochemicals in the brain, and these biochemicals are associated with the emotions, with an emotional response to eating, listening to music, sex, drugs, all of that kind of stuff. So basically, humor is good for you, which yeah. is kind of cool. Um, and it is actually a thing that is happening in your brain and gets yeah. triggered in your brain. Similar to like... Yeah, eating, like the dopamine and stuff that you get from eating or music or whatever. That's really interesting. Humor also has a couple other functions. I think there have been a lot of research recently. There's a little bit of research recently on the health benefits of humor and laughter. Like it's it's actually good for your emotional well-being, not in just a individual makes you feel better way. Kind of overall, it's good for your health. And um, there's also a element of laughter that is like, empathetic or sympathetic and it's about like understanding other people and it plays a big role in forming social bonds which you talked about a little bit earlier I think that's kind of interesting like the idea that laughter is a way of connecting with people and understanding other people because I think in that way it isn't the most vulnerable thing but it is definitely a way to connect with somebody and understand somebody and like be on the same wavelength as somebody that is super powerful and then also humor is a means of coping with an awkward situation so like laughing at a funeral I feel like is a pretty easy example or a common example and basically it's like a release of the stress because Mm -hmm. we're used to humor and laughter as like this release for us Mm -hmm. so in situations that are really tense or would be awkward to laugh we try to relieve that tension subconsciously by laughing which is really that's really interesting. interesting yeah i also personally feel like if i don't know what to do i usually like 
default to laughter or if I'm like so uncomfortable where I'm just like I don't know what to do in this situation like I'll usually laugh it off or I'll just like chuckle a little bit and like which I feel like is good in that like I feel like it does kind of have a positive effect on you to laugh Mm -hmm. right but then also maybe it's a form of like just meeting other people's needs or trying to appease other people and in that way it's not good I don't know yeah that makes sense um, so now that we have told you that laughter is so good for you, <laughs> if you want to be funnier, <laughs> research suggests trying to say the opposite of what's expected. The more exaggeration, the funnier. So this is what we we're kind of talking about, that unexpected stuff is funny. Mm-hmm. So since normally modesty is expected, saying something surprisingly conceited or way out of the blue would be considered funny in that situation and obviously there's a limit like people have a line where things get too absurd and then that's not necessarily funny anymore but if you're under that line then the more exaggeration the better um there's also this thing called the rule of three which is basically doing two things that are expected and then one thing that isn't And this is a form of comedy you often see in, like, sketch comedy or, like, stand-up or something like that. And usually the third time is the funniest time. And this also happens not even if they're, like I said before, the the two were unexpected. Or the two were expected and one wasn't expected. Um, But you can also have it all three expected or all three unexpected and just that that like third time doing something really emphasizes the comedy so if the Mm -hmm. first time you did something it wasn't funny the third time it might be funny you know so it's like that like third time is always comedic um also another thing you can do is just make fun of yourself and this is another form of just letting your guard down and probably making people feel more comfortable and by making fun of yourself you ensure that you're not going too far or making fun of other people and as long as it's not like harmful to your mental health or harmful for your confidence making fun of yourself is a great way to be funny and i think it shows a level of like humility and self-awareness and just not taking life super seriously or yourself super seriously which is super relieving Mm -hmm. and yeah makes you more approachable because you're not taking things so seriously So there's so much to say about humor. And obviously there hasn't been a ton of research done on it. So I think in the future for our next episode, I really want to spend some time talking about people's different personal insights on humor and Mm -hmm. the ways that, I guess when we were talking about earlier, like what you were saying about ways to be more funny, saying something that's unexpected or exaggerating. And like the more you exaggerate, the funnier it is. Like finding that line between different people and maybe figuring out why some people are... I don't know, like, why we find different things funny as far as, like, socialization and characteristics Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, So I think we definitely are going to do more of that personally in the future. Yeah, Um, with this episode, I feel like we spent a lot of time on, like, the actual mechanics of humor and the actual, like, brain parts of humor and, like, the history of humor. But humor is such an everyday thing that everyone is so aware of. Um, I think it was good to lay a little, like foundation fundamentals of what makes things funny but i'm excited to dig even deeper (laughs) and talk about more personal levels of humor Mm -hmm. when we started this episode i almost was like molly tell a joke um but i knew that that was a terrible thing (laughs) to put you on the spot doing (laughs) terrible because yeah like asking somebody maybe this is just the same way that i 
kind of despise like icebreakers but I feel like asking somebody to be funny in the same way that like asking somebody to sing a song for you or something is just very I don't know yeah, it puts you on the spot you, and you want it to seem spontaneous I guess also I think rehearsed. part of humor is being authentic and if you're yeah. just asked to do it out of the blue it takes some of that authenticity out oh, that's a good point yeah, so anyway, stay tuned next week for our less scientific and nerdy, more everyday lens on humor. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I'm Molly. And I'm Ella. And that was Dig Deeper. Deeper.